0: everyone. Welcome back to Casual Watch Talk. This week, I've got another interview for us. And I'm really interested about this one because we're going to be talking about watches and investment, a bit of cryptocurrency. But I'd like to welcome Dan onto the channel. Thanks for joining me, Dan.
1: Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, Dan, would you like to do a quick introduction to yourself so people know who you are? I'm an artist, entrepreneur, um, you know, in in the art world. I'm Daniel Matthew York because in in the uh, where I'm from in Illinois, Chicago, there was 45 Dan Yorks, so to, to have your name stand out a bit, I had to spread it out into as many syllables as humanly possible, which luckily I was given that name. so. But that's how I am in the art world, but everybody really just calls me Dan. Might as well do a wristwatch check. What, what are you wearing tonight? Well, I'm in a honeymoon phase with a Moser right now. So, oh, I've been, Federico uh, Talks Watches is a big fan, isn't he, of Moser? Yeah, and I've been a big fan too. And it, the ones I really want are really hard to get right now, and that you can't even get them on the website. But right now, this is the new Mega Cool, the new Pioneer Mega Cool. Oh,
0: wow. Damn. Yeah.
1: So, I just picked that up in Nashville at, at a jeweler here named King Jeweler. They're a Moser dealer here. And we're lucky enough to get this. And this, it's really a beautiful watch. The thing is, is, when you see Mosers in person, they're just, Photos, I mean, I could say this about many watches, just photos never really communicate it. And sometimes, you know, photos can communicate the wrong thing. You'll you'll see it in a photo. You're like, I love this. And then you put it on and you're like, what is this? Moser's the opposite. Th- the photos never do it justice. They're really beautiful. And as I, you know, it's when I just did this other watch podcast a couple of days ago, and I made the point of, of uh, comparing art to watches. And one of the things is you can really feel the love in some watches, like somebody really cared for this it wasn't just a machine pumping it off of a line like a g-shock and believe me i love g-shocks but um but you know i mean it's just it's a it's an assembly line and you can feel the love in this thing i mean somebody really was putting their heart into this and maybe many people but there's so many cool details on this that you can't really appreciate um like i don't know if you can really see this because but there's there's facets that they that they round in here Oh yeah, but it's so wild because what they're doing is they're taking a satin sort of straight polish, sat- uh, like a satin polish here, and then there's not even like a hard edge, and then they go into this hard polished here with these ribbings. I mean, the, the, this is some serious work, and I don't know. if You can see the crystal there; it's it's like a it looks like a sports arena.
0: Yeah, it's like a domed. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'll have to throw some
1: pictures up as well if you've got any on your phone. We'll have to splice them in. Yeah, they just do a really beautiful job. And the other thing I like, too, is they they put the streamliner hands on this one. This is the first Pioneer that they've put the streamliner hands on so, Yeah, so it, it, there's just many details. One of them that I really love, too, is I don't know if you can see this, but you see how the the name in there is invisible until you put it in I the light? I was going to ask you whether it was, if
0: the brand, if it was, it looks unbranded.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I guess there was some argument whether what they because, you know, Moser likes to do the unbranded look, they they figure that their look is the brand, right? And then sometimes they'll put their name on there. Apparently, there was a bit of an argument with this one where they didn't know whether they wanted to put their name on it or not. So what they did was this almost, uh, at first, I thought it was um, engraved. But then I find out it's, it's like a clear applied marker, like, uh, like some sort of acrylic clear name and, and it's cool because you can only see it in the right light but anyway so I'm still in honeymoon phase on this and I usually am not a fan of uh, canvas straps yeah and this is this is a really beautiful strap though. I mean it's it's canvas with a with a leather back and the thing I still am getting used to on this is I, I like a little pliability to my straps because I you know I yank them on and yank them off and leather you can do that with this one you can't do that with so it's pretty, it's, it's something to get used to, but then when, in Moser, if, if you've ever seen their rubber straps, they're great, I mean, it's beautiful, and just, they feel amazing, Um, if you've ever held, like, an Everest strap, and you know how those feel, those aftermarket ones you can get, they feel like that, but just better designed, I think, in terms of look, but I mean, I just can't, break with that strap it looks so good like that <laughs> it matches you know, like, the ah, dial doesn't it yeah so I don't know this about Moser but is it
0: I know they they're a sort of a small batch watchmaker aren't they but did you have to go on a waiting
1: list or anything along those yeah. lines Can, uh-uh. no? well this one was in the glass I mean I mean I just got this a few weeks ago and and uh, some of you I guess there's waiting lists like I want to I want a streamliner se- center seconds and they 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 can't really get that on the watch there's on the, on the website, they're sold out all the watches out in the field. They're selling for triple. Um, and the funny thing is, is this, this mega cool is very difficult to get online. There's basically only one of them out there. I think it was out in Hong Kong. So, uh, and it's not, it's not, I mean, they're not cheap of course, but it's not ridiculously expensive either. It's not like, you know, Rolex or paddock prices these days or something, but, um, but it is cool having something that you know. I think the whole company pumps out maybe fourteen or fifteen hundred watches a year. So how many of these are? There? It's at a certain stage of watch collection. I'm sure, I'm sure you've been there. It's kind of cool to not wear the same thing that everybody else is wearing. Although I do have some of those too. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've uh,
0: we've we've been having some lively discussions on the. We've got a Discord group and have live discussions about what what. Is a watch an icon because somebody, because the watch community says it's an icon, yeah, or no. should it be an icon because it had a purpose, whether it's military or it's historical figure wore it, or it was a unique design, or it moved watchmaking forward, or something along those lines? So we've been having a bit of a back and forth argument on Discord. Arguing that uh, just because a YouTuber says it's iconic might not necessarily mean it's an iconic. Yeah, match. I know
1: Instagram and YouTube have really morphed that whole thing, and there's been some legitimate. I mean, we could have that whole conversation right now, but let's before we before we jump into that, what's on your wrist? I saw something interesting going on over yeah, there too. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of this. I, my
0: my collection is a bit more modest, but I'm a huge fan of uh, Like Christopher Ward. I don't know if you know. Christopher oh yeah, Ward. yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they. I think they're probably in in the mid tier of Swiss Swiss watches so they you know the the 1000 to 700 to a $3000 range I think Christopher Ward is probably the best value that you can get
1: Yeah yeah that's not expensive
0: Yeah they they do a lot with the cases they've got this light catcher case and a lot of their newer watches are cosk uh, or Measured to COSK, I should say. So even in that sort of $1,000 price range, you're still getting a COSK. Regu- they use Solita movements. I'm sorry, you said they're using Solita stuff? Solita, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they use Solita movements. In fact, this I've got another one here that is COSK regulated, which I, I, I'll flash a picture up for the, for the, the viewers here. But it's made of a, it's an injected carbon case. Mm-hmm. So cool. it's, it's very light and it's actually um, you can't really see this but it's it's transparent the, the dial is sort of suspended within the watch mm-hmm. and you can shine a light through and it will come through the front and this is a this is a cost regulated they also designed it to have a, a spring loaded um the crown is spring loaded because Oh that's cool. Yeah I, 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 so instead I'll of putting in crown guards you submerge the the crown yeah, apparently, um, Mike, who's the CEO of Christopher Ward, he, he's been on the channel a few times, and mm-hmm. he this was one of those necessities, the mother of invention, because he's a cyclist, and he used to wear his Christopher Ward watch, but uh, the way that he was on the... He's a road cyclist, and the way his hands were on the bar, the crown was always digging into his wrist. So he actually went and tried to find a company that made this a spring-loaded crown. Apparently, it doesn't. There might only be one other watch that does it. I think Omega might make one, but this they had this they reverse engineered it and had this specially made just for this watch. So they do a
1: metal version of this. Is is there a heavy water resistance on that? Even though you're submerging the crown, I mean, it's uh, hundred, yeah, hundred and fifty meters. Oh, that's that's yeah, totally
0: respectable. Yeah, yeah. yeah Christopher Ward's a <clears throat> really interesting brand. They they also reverse engineered a super compressor dive watch case and had it re. They recreated it using their case manufacturer. They put a lot of time into designing unique cases. They're all about, um, they have this methodology of each watch is a three times value. So you essentially pay three times what the watch is is to make. So they, they, and they go through the process of a third of it is what it actually um, costs to make the watch and so on. So they, they kind of multiply it out. They, they were the first, I don't know if they've, Well, this is the this is this is yeah, this is going to be an interesting topic to so, talk about. But yeah, the, I think they were the first fully somebody will correct me on this, but I think they were the fully first fully straight to internet watch company that didn't sell in stores. They were internet first, which yeah. obviously a lot of the watch companies now are, are doing the reverse of that. But they were always buy it online, and then they have this sixty sixty warranty. So you get a five year sixty month warranty, but you get sixty days if you to return the watch
1: if you like it or not i think they are they still privately owned it because another company that did that was remember that one company on uh uh they were all over facebook mvmt i think they were yeah, called yeah. It. Movement, movement i don't yeah. know movement yeah they ended up selling for like a 100 million or something like that
0: yeah movement's movement's an interesting one in fact they, they i work for a tech startup that's based in san diego and the people that went to i think they went to business school with the founders of movement but movement was they, they got in early on the Kickstarter thing and they were getting mm. a lot of rebadged watches from um, you know Chinese makers and rebadging them and stuff. And yeah, I mean, they, they, they were, I think they were the first, maybe that's, that's a lie because there's other marketing <laughs> companies that do this, but they were a marketing company first is how I yeah. think of movement, not a watch company. Mm. And, um, but yeah, Christopher Ward were, uh, I think they were straight to internet first and they, they do it, they, they offer, I think they offer a really good value value for money watches
1: that's great yeah i think there's some very cool stuff i mean there's so many cool brands coming out with so many interesting things right now and and uh it's it's a cool time to be a watch collector and really you can really hone in on certain things and that's one of the things that you'll that i find is that you can if you get too much into the watch community of uh i I, what do you what do we call it the hype market or the the one-upmanship market or something like that or Whatever you want to call it, you can you end up with a really shitty collection. Yeah, we were talking about this sort of
0: recently and I I refer to it as the paint by numbers watch collection. Yeah, totally, totally. Where you're like, Oh, I need this dress watch, I need this, I need this watch, I need one of these, I need you know, and then and then when you end up looking at it, you're like, Oh, do I really do I even wear a dress watch? (laughs) Where (laughs) do I go that we need a
1: (laughs) Yeah yeah I've gone through I've gone through phases like that where I was like, okay well, I'll have the dress watch. I'll have the sports watch and then and then it would change to then I went through a phase where I wanted to have one in every material, you know, like a carbon fiber one and a ceramic one. and that one that was probably one of the more interesting phases that I went through because it it leads you into some very cool watches. like um one time I was in Orlando as a matter of fact, and or maybe it was Tampa. It was a. It was a, um, they had that Freak, it might have been, I think it was the Orlando Moth. Uh, oh, yeah, Ulysse Nadan. Yeah, it was the Ulysse Nardin, and it had a, it was the Freak X, I think they called it, but it was a carbon fiber Freak, and I'm telling you, the thing was so light. It wasn't crazy expensive compared to, the old Freaks were like, you know, I think 75, 80 grand or something. This one was about 20, and But man, I'm telling you, that thing was a really interesting watch. And I think a really, some of these watches, I think, deserve more attention than, you know, everybody looking at the same ceramic Daytona over and over and over and over. That was a really fascinating watch. But there's a lot of watches like that I ran into when I was like, oh, let's go look at ceramics and carbon fibers. And some people do really, really beautiful carbon fibers. As a matter of fact, I don't have it here, um, but I did have a picture of a couple of them. one of mine's in the shop Some of are, but i i end up having this and that's the new zenith carbon
0: yeah so it's the zenith defy is it
1: yeah it's the zenith defy carbon and you can get it with the carbon strap but the way to get it is with this rubber strap and it's 41 millimeters and i'm going to tell you it's beautiful in in light it's sort of the vibe of it is really interesting because um you know they're owned by lvmh now so they kind of you know, they get Biver at the helm, and then they get the sharing of, I think, all the component technology from Hublot. and But it's almost like they're doing Hublot better than Hublot is doing it. And then you get a Zenith movement in it, right? So you're, you're getting this really cool stuff. And I'm telling you, these rubber canvas straps that these guys are doing and their clasps are so top-notch. And it, you put it on, it feels so cool. But the vibe to me is like an 80s, like an 80s movie. It's almost like Miami Vice meets, uh, like like a Swatch watch that you know it doesn't cost you fifty. It's like a Swatch watch kind of vibe. It's really cool. Yeah, the
0: um, it, it it's a it's a forged carbon, I presume. Um, yeah, is Christopher mm-hmm. Ward using an injected ejected carbon, but I think forged carbon is is a, carb, a type of carbon fiber, and it doesn't have. It, it's it has that beautiful almost like marble like totally. texture to it doesn't it instead of the like a layered carbon way carbon
1: fiber. Yeah it's almost like tiger tiger print almost or you know of uh, what's another way to put it? I don't know it's yeah it's like you're saying but it's really beautiful stuff
0: It's a really interesting material I know uh, are the famous dive watch makers are using they made a forged carbon cased watch as well
1: Mhm Yeah the cool stuff about that too is that the i'm I'm pretty good on my watches i know some guys trash their watches but the the reliability of it you know you you scratch them and they don't really scratch that much it's kind of like it's similar to ceramic to me i'm amazed with ceramic as well yeah.
0: the the i think the my the favorite the best one i've ever seen was the gray side of the moon the omega Speed oh yeah gray i've side seen that moon. too here yeah in nashville incredible. they had one incredible yeah, incredible with those rose gold, not uh, cheap, rose though. gold hands, not cheap. No, they're. I think at the I think they retail for about eleven thousand, but I don't I don't if they still make it now, but I'm sure it's more than that. And it it, it comes on that crocodile, grey crocodile strap. It's one of my favourite Omegas that I've ever reviewed. Was the was the grey side of the moon? I did the dark side of the moon, but to me, it's too shiny. It's too it's too glossy. Mm-hmm. I got a a brief list of some of the watches that in your collection, you really focused for a while on Rolex. Was that how you started getting into watches? Because you've got quite a few key Rolex pieces, quite a few yeah. sought-after
1: ones. And they're mostly accidents. That's the funny thing is it's funny, I'm not even a huge Rolex guy. I'm more of a I like precious metals, you know, and 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 one thing I found is when you when my collection was morphing, because like I said, I went from materials to uh, you know, and I kind of went through a phase where I'm like, well, I should have like a staple piece like an AP and this and but that really was boring. And one time I was in Vegas, which I go to frequently for watch watch stores because it's the
0: love, love, I love Vegas for watch. stores. That's all I
1: go for. I go for food to get fat and to watch watch to go to the watch stores there because I got everything. But one time I was putting on a Royal Oak. This is back when you could get Royal Oaks about three years ago. And uh, they wanted I was, you know, I put on a um, it was a 41 millimeter Royal Oak Chrono blackface stainless steel under the glass okay and um you know i was like okay well, what kind of deal would you guys give me on this they're like no deals and i was like you guys well i didn't know back then that we were going to go into this craziness and that was going to be a fifty thousand dollar watch but it just didn't it just wasn't me that's all it was i mean i just put it on and i just like, it's just not me i feel like a different person and so um But I'm glad that I went through that phase, albeit sometimes that phase can get very expensive when you're moving watches every few months like I do. Uh, But you do sort of find yourself as a watch collector. And you start finding these little uh, nuances of yourself that are expressed in watches. And those are are my favorite watch guys and my favorite watch conversations to have. Because sometimes guys do nuance out into Rolex, and that's totally okay, so long as it's kind of like their shtick. I really enjoy that. One of the members of our Facebook group, Lee, who's a
0: groundskeeper at a golf course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he wears Rolexes as he's doing his his groundskeeping. <laughs> so he, he has these great shots of him in his, his gear or he's on the back of a John Deere. He has Explorer and he also has a 41 mil date just. It just looks perfect. He's got his he's got his gardening gloves on, and like you say, that that watch is really him. Like it's the white dial, and a, when I think of him, I think of that watch. And I, I, you're right; it's it's one of the beautiful things of collecting, isn't it? Finding things that you like, and 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 really discovering, like you said, a, a bit of a part of yourself and your collection journey as you go through.
1: I guess you could do this with any anything, you know. Like you you said, you're this one guy you were talking about, the CEO of this watch company, was a cyclist, you know. And I've cycled, and the funny thing is is I also had run into that same problem where my watch watch crowns had created this dry patch of skin from constantly rubbing and sweating. And and I was like, oh, I guess I just don't. It's funny. I do have a cycling watch that I wear, and it's this old G-Shock that I'll never sell. It's an old Gias. I don't even know how old that is, maybe 10 or 12 years old. But you notice there's no crowns. And so it's, and, and the sides here are plastic, so it's very easy on the skin. So when I do cycle, this thing's great. The thing that sucks is the the salt from your skin that you sweat out gets in the strap and you can never get it out. So the thing just looks like total hell. Plus, it's been in the ocean. And I mean, I've just beat this thing down and it's never died on me. And but um, you know, the the discovery phase is I think very cool. It teaches you a lot about yourself and individuality and growth and what I would buy 10 years ago or even 15 years ago is so completely different than what I would get now. But I all I also am in life uh in my career's an opportunist. So when an opportunity presents itself, you, you you gotta jump at it. And I've made the mistake of not doing that too, because sometimes you get lucky with them and you you find things that you do you do love like that. Yes yeah, so you mentioned that you saw an AP in the case and
0: the watch industry has just gone absolutely crazy now. Hey, and I know this those, is something yeah. yeah I know this is something you've been following and I'm really interested to to get your opinion just on the watch bubble if it is a bubble the craziness with with COVID and and vintage watches and and how we've got really from a short period of time, three to five years from having watches that were quite obtainable, or at least you could buy them now to being, especially Rolex is a good example, but where they have become so unobtainable now, and like the the Nautilus you used to be able to buy and now they're producing a Tiffany one. So I'd love to
1: get your opinion on, on, on what you think of all that. To me, that's just an economics conversation. Some guys think it's just watches and I'm like, well, it's, it's so tied together and, and like, like the Nautilus, it's funny, a buddy of mine and the Aquanaut, I'm going to say the Nautilus and the Aquanaut. So I was in my store, I had a Rolex dealer in Florida, which is now closed. I used to go to these real boutique Rolex stores that had, you know, Rolex and Patek Philippe and some other niche brands. And of course Rolex closed all those and went to these big box retailers, you know, but um one time I was in there and they had an Aquanaut, right, $21,000, right, and we're talking, we're talking the, I think it's the 5167A, isn't that the, the 40 millimeter one, the one that's $50,000 now, so so I was like, ah, not my thing, too conservative, you know, I'm an artist and I'm, you know, a metalhead artist, you know, like, ah, not my thing. And it was a beautiful watch. And then those same two watches I was just looking at at David SW in the store. I was in Orlando at David SW. He had two of them. Wanted 72 or 75,000 bucks for them, And one of them was brand new. I was like, damn, you know? So in the, 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 uh, the Nautilus, I was in a shop once and they're like, yeah, 29 grand. Well, now they're like $130,000 for that same exact watch. But it just, to me, it comes down to economics, right? Um, you have a hard, tangible asset and all, it's not just the watch world, it's, it's cars too. You know, it's, 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 it's these, uh, you know, these luxury cars and all luxury items are doing this. So to me, it's the flow of money. And is it a bubble? Yeah, it's a bubble. There's always bubbles. I mean, bubbles always burst. Some people, people are like, well, Bitcoin's never going to go down. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, then it went down by $35,000 in a month. And then, oh, the, you know, cars are never going to go down. Well, then they do. And oh, watches are never going to go down. And then they do. I mean, uh, it's just you know it's going to come from somewhere. But what I like to pay attention to in in all of this is there's luxury goods, watches included, and then there's cash, and then there's the stock market, and then there's cryptocurrencies, and then there's real estate. They're all high. And typically, what you'll have when you just look at history is like, well, one of them goes down, one of them goes up. You know, it's somebody uses fear and drives down one market, and then the other one goes up. I mean, and we don't have that right now. Okay. So if you just get straight economically minded, you go, why? And you go, well, it's because they're pumping uh, money into society like sunshine up an asshole. I mean, it's just going <laughs> really hard. And so you, it's it's got to move somewhere. And, it, and there's a lot of really intelligent um, people out there that know what to do with it. And they're going to move it into luxury assets or real estate or, um, you know, just anything that, is not cash because cash will deflate. You know, We're, we're, we're going to have inflation at unmatched rates. I mean, we're probably already there, but I mean, every year it's going to get worse. So what are you going to do? Hold on to a dollar that's going to lose 20% of value every year? or Are you going to put it into a, a ceramic Daytona Panda that is going to go up by, at this rate, whatever it is, like 10,000 a year or something like that. Those things are going for like $45,000. It's a $12,000 watch. And so I, I think that that is going to be a trend for a while. And if money printing stops and interest rates start going back up and we start looking at normal economics moving in, maybe it'll start to settle down. And if that's the case, then we can all go back to being like, oh, good, we're going to get anything we want. And they're going to look like deals to us. The level has been. There's been a a
0: price breach, hasn't there? <laughs> Whereas totally. yeah. it's the bubble might burst, but it's it, the bubble might burst, but you're not going to get a Rolex for five thousand no. dollars. You know, it's it's not like yeah. you're going to get. They're going to be fire sailing these things because they they've made too much. the The breach has already been there. I did a a little experiment on the channel that we've sort of been following where I sold some of my crypto. I'm glad mm-hmm. I did actually because it was Cardano. Um, <laughs> and I bought a Rolex um, OP, so I've got a blue OP Rolex, and I'm going to keep the Tiffany port. blue one. No, it, it actually, it was the
1: call it the mid midnight blue. Yeah, that's pretty though. I've seen that one too. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I don't actually. I, I've I've got it stored away because I'm going to keep it as like a little investment, and then judge at the end, a year or whatever, which which was the better investment. So I thought mm-hmm. I would put my money where my mouth is because I've I, I do crypto, uh, do a little bit of cryptocurrency investing, not a lot, but I, I know a little bit about crypto. But then when I was looking at alternative investments, I was chatting to a friend who has got really into investing in gemstones. And he's like, oh, you should invest in gemstones. I'm like, well, I don't understand it. And he's like, well, what yeah. do you understand? I'm like, well, I understand watches. He's like, well, why do not you do that? So that's what mm-hmm. that's what actually got me thinking about buying a Rolex. Because before I always the stage where I was when I bought it or at my collecting journey, they were still quite high and I was like, are they worth it? But then when I started thinking about them as an investment or a store of value, that's, and then they actually looked like they were quite reasonably priced based on how they, how they've currently gone up. And if you could get one at retail, which I managed to do so.
1: Yeah. and, And you actually said the exact phrase that I think of watches. I mean, for me, watches are a fun hobby, you know? And we could, you know, some people go like, you guys spend so much money on these stupid watches and it's such a, I mean, this, this makes no sense. Well, of course it doesn't make sense. No, nobody's hobbies make any sense. You do it because you like it, right? So, and we all know that, but it is kind of nice that this hobby can, can be viewed as a tangible asset, but store of value, funny enough, is the phrase that I use. It's a store of value because how do you know that a day just is going to go up or how do you know a Daytona is? You don't you know, it could go down. Um, their, their production numbers could go up by 250,000 a year next year. We don't know. I mean, so, but it is a store value. And you do know that it's going to have some at least intrinsic value. Like if you were able to buy a Daytona for 12,000, it's worth 50,000 today. Well, that was a good investment, but at a bare minimum, you know, you're going to be able to sell that thing for $12,000. It's the old phrase for Rolex, you know, Rolex is good as cash. <laughs> Just for,
0: because I've got viewers of collectors of all, all different ranges in and- you can even apply that to watches that go, I think, vintage Seiko watches percent-wise. If mm-hmm. you've got some of those early, the Vietnam era ones, the 62MAS, if you've if you've got some of those vintage Seikos, they've probably appreciated in value percentage-wise as much as some luxury timepieces. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. There's, there's, there's some bargains that I think are still to be had. The, uh,
1: the problem that I have personally with vintage is that I don't know enough about it not yeah. to get but yeah you and me both I'm not a huge vintage guy I really respect it and I've seen some really beautiful vintage watches on on buddies of mine but I just I don't invest the time to know that like you would really need to and and um and, and frankly I'm so busy with all the things that I do sometimes I just like it. You know, like I've got a few watches in the shop right now but I mean that's rare I mean these modern watches I mean they're warrantied up the wazoo you barely ever have to take them in and and I sort of like that that aspect of it so looking at your collection you've yeah. got a number of rolexes
0: but i you've got one of my favorite brands on there as well breitling and i still think breitling it's it, the prices are across the spectrum mm. but i think some of the entry level ones the divers the super oceans some of the even the the quartz watches from a few years ago using that super quartz watches i i, I think breitling could could be that next one of them. It is a big brand, but I think it could be one of those next big collector's brands because they've got so many eclectic vintage ones, but also I think a lot of the newer ones are, yeah, are you know, are I think big, I
1: don't know why. I think they're bigger in Europe than they are in the US. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of Breitlings. I went through a whole Breitling phase. And my favorite ones were the Super quartzs I loved those. I mean, I've had probably four or five... Uh, aerospace is the one that I have currently funny enough after I did this watch this other watch podcast like two or three days ago the battery died during the podcast I was like son of a bitch that battery has been alive for so long and I go what a coincidence that during the show it would go dead so but it's um but it's a really rare one and it's funny because the story behind it is I was dating this one girl who uh bought me one she knew I liked these aerospaces and I would kind of move through them this was an aerospace evo and I saw this under the glass and, and she had convinced me not to get it because she'd bought me one for my birthday. And it was just a regular one. So I was like, all right, fine. I won't get it. Well, then I kind of changed my mind. I was like, no, I want this one because it was the Cobra yellow face and Brightling does a yellow, like that's nobody's business. Nobody does a yellow as cool as Brightling. And, uh, that's at least what it looks like photo wise. Oh yeah. But it's an aerospace Evo and night mission. So it's got the blacked out titanium. Uh, it's not even blacked out. It's like a grayed out titanium. With that cobra yellow is super cool watch not crazy expensive and just a fun watch to wear um but unfortunately like i said it's in the shop but anyway so i didn't buy it and i had i had that thing on chrono 24 on watch and on ebay on watch i had to wait like four years for that thing to come up again and as soon as i saw one i was like snatched it because it's, it's hard to get but i've had um like navitimers uh, which was a very cool watch coincidentally the navitimer of all the watches i've ever worn i think that one had more compliments than just about anything else i've ever had yeah and i think as
0: well i need to do a video on this but the navitimer's got one of the most interesting histories i think of any of Mm -hmm. any particular watch model i know that the submariner and the speedmaster they've got their history but you know, Breitling himself was flying the Navitimer over to the Allied forces on in you know during war times or an early version of it, so they could navigate with it as well. And then mm-hmm. his son kind of really bought the Navitimer to. It's got such a fascinating history. I don't know whether it's because a Breitling doing a good job of being custodians of their own history or or marketing things the way that other companies are, or maybe they're seen as. Um, accessible and therefore they Mm. don't have the similar cachet to like rolex or i mean what do you think about this idea of rolex and and the other brands with their watch inventory and whether there's this perceived shortage of supply or whether it's just because there's more demand i mean their argument is there's more demand
1: That's probably true i mean it's i mean you know, did Rolex really plan? I mean, here's the way I think about it. You know, I'm an entrepreneur myself and, you know, you're always thinking with sales and marketing and, and niching out and things and, you know, finding your paths. Did Rolex and Patek Philippe and AP really um, go like, Hey, let's short the market supply to create this huge explosion. I don't know. I mean, it would be really brilliant if they did, I suppose, (laughs) but you just don't know. I mean, it's not like Rolex isn't producing a lot of watches. I mean, they're one of the, in terms of switch watch brands, I mean, they've got more facilities to produce more watches than any of these guys, you know, and, and I don't think anybody really knows the numbers I've certainly don't but I, th- I heard it's something like 900,000 to a million watches a year and um, it, it's sort of uh, tough to to say something like that I'm certainly not negative about it I, if they've had a lot of success I, I feel like more power to you. And uh, and well done for finding a pathway, because really all of us, no matter what we do for a living in a career, if we're successful, we know it's hard one. We know it's by hard work, finding a path, You've lots of blood, sweat and tears on the way. And, and it was no different for any of them. I mean, even even Rolex in the 80s was making quartz watches. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, AP had to navigate that. And, and Patek Philippe, I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, um, I'm a big fan of I'm not a huge Patek Philippe guy. Um, very much respect the brand, um but th- a lot of them are just not my style, you know, except for this, okay, this is a golden ellipse, okay, and I love the golden ellipses from them. I think it's the best watch they make it's it's to me a fascinating look. it's super comfortable. this is the 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 platinum version, and it's you can't really tell in the light right now because it's nighttime out here, but it's it's got this super dark blue strap and the face is a cobalt blue and that face is actually gold so it's a platinum watch with gold inside they they even made this blue gold face it's beautiful and it just has a look about it but one of the ones that is i'm trying to find is they did one that was a mix of this golden ellipse and the nautilus and i think it has a nickname of the nautilus nautilips or something they call it and it's quartz usually so, and it's, it's, it's a total bastardization of both of these watches. So you have the beauty of this, the beauty of a Nautilus, and they merged them into one watch and it's, it's ugly and crazy. And I'm like, well, I got to find that. <laughs> I got to find that one. Patek
0: of a movie. Well, they're not moving away from the Nautilus, but they're, they're ending the steel Nautilus, aren't they? Because they don't want to be seen as just the company that makes that watch. I mean, how do you feel
1: about that decision? Because they, they were printing money, weren't they? With the steel nautilus well i mean at a retail level i mean i don't know that they were printing money i think they were probably for them they were probably making the same amount of money on it every year because they're the one producing it they're selling it to their retailers the retailers are probably selling it at retail because i think these guys all have policies about not price gouging at the retail level and i know like rolex i can't speak for paddock but i know rolex has some internal rules i suppose for their dealers that they can't just go out and sell them out to gray dealers for big prices like that so and i believe that too i've heard you've heard rumors like that but i've experienced this personally um so i don't know that they're making any more money that way and i think the hype is cool for them because it's free i mean that's advertising you can't buy right but i do you know when um uh i think terry stern did an interview on that not too long ago and i go I, i can see what he means you know it's it's kind of like luke hamill acting in star wars well Nobody knows that guy for the rest of his life, other than for being Luke Skywalker, <laughs> right? And I think he was trying to avoid that. And he go, I guess it's a t- it's a good concept, and people get too too focused and put horse blinders on on, on the income of it, and like I can't believe they're not going to produce that and. And who knows? Maybe they will. Maybe they'll keep doing a new face, and it'll be like Ozzy Osbourne, who who keeps doing retirement tours every ten years. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, and they they definitely played. Ev- they played all of the the used dealers at their own game, didn't they? When they released that Tiffany one, and it yeah. was for was it five million or something or something the, the, like the, that. The, the, fir- the first one, um, but yeah, it's it's become. I see. I totally see your point on that because, yeah, they are the. It's the resellers that were making the money on mm-hmm. that. I mean, how how do you feel about the way that there's this whole? I mean, it, it's always been the case, but there's there now seems to be, especially on on YouTube, there's a more prevalence of this um, glorification of the the grey market dealers. This mm-hmm. kind of very much as their the new entrepreneurs of and this is that this is the way to make a lot of money quick as been you know, buying a richard mill and flipping it and and then just this this constant cycle of money so they're building a, a kind of a business out of reselling watches but they're they're presenting themselves as if they're
1: entrepreneurs in a certain industry how, how does that sit with you i mean that's what i love about the world i mean people will find a way you know old doors close new doors open and I feel fine about that, but I do think that, you know, what comes up will come down. I mean, things aren't always going to be going straight up in the way that they are. So it's kind of like real estate agents, you know, and uh, you know, I'm I'm 43 now. So in the nineties, you saw this huge real estate explosion, right. In the States and everybody and their brother became a real estate agent. I mean, you know, all these, everybody who's these part-time real estate agents all over the place. Well, when the real estate market tanked, you know, the market shook out and the only people that survived that was the real brokers and the real agents, you know, any, anybody can sell in a good market. Anybody can move something in a hot market because you're order takers, but the real survivors can move through the low markets and the low markets and, and, and move through that. And so you'll see that, I think with all these gray dealers, all these, all these, you know, there's, there's always been gray dealers, but yes, not to this volume and, and some kid that moves into it thinks he's some hot shot because he can, you know, get access to some guy in Portugal who's going to flip him a couple of Rolexes and then sell him for a $25,000 profit in the States. Those days won't always exist and they'll probably end sooner than we both think. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm the same age as you, similar. and. I, I, I lived through that sort of late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. a clubbing scene where DJs suddenly became the superstars. It, yeah, it, right. it, it moved from the music, it moved from the trance music to where the DJ was the superstar. And, and some of them, you know, incredible careers b- born from their Tiesto and Paul Van Dyke and so on. And now I feel like in our little niche of watch collecting is the last year was the year of the superstar grey dealer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like you say, or all the more credit to them um for doing yeah making, and, and you know it's talking about faces. phases i mean
1: like you were bringing up Breitling okay so i mean in in like 2005 through 2010 big watches were the thing like everybody had to have a big watch and and Breitling even made like a 51 millimeter emergency and I think the emergency is a super cool watch, but fifty-one millimeters. I put that thing on, and I was like, "Holy shit, this thing is like wearing." I mean, it was it was light because it's titanium, but I mean, it was just. I felt like Flavor Flav, you know, like, you know, putting this giant thing on my wrist, and 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 Brightling really went through this kind of. I don't know. Some would maybe call it like fashion watch kind of a thing. I I personally I liked it. I thought the, the chronomats were super cool looking. I liked the modern look. Um, I think they had a real sweet spot towards the end of the 90s, early 2000s with the um with the chronomat. I'm trying to remember the name of it. They would do two-toned accents on it.
0: Yeah, I I love the B1, the, the Anidigi from that time. Yeah, the rattling B1. Very
1: cool watch. Yeah. And and the right size too for what it was. So but they, you know, they they kind of overshot the mark, and then everybody came back. And now, and in, and it's funny. In five years, the whole world had changed from these huge watches, and now the trend is getting back down to thirty nine millimeters. And it, you know, AP's even coming out with I think 30, 36 or thirty seven millimeters, and 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 it's now the the big trend again. So uh, people are throwing away all these big watches. I have not. I still have one big watch from that trend that I still like and still have that people probably think is a douche watch and I'm a douche for wearing it, but I'm like, hey, whatever. It's all about the lug-to-lug
0: measurement, isn't it? And also mm-hmm. how, as I've got more into watch collecting, I'm amazed at how the balance of a case is. It has become more of the key to me, like how it balances on the wrist. And I think some of these, when you get a perfectly balanced watch is, I mean, Rolex do a great job at, at balancing their watches, but some of the, some of the watches I've had where they sort of like hanging off
1: your wrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I've kind of, I've kind of, I'm over that phase. Yeah. Yeah, they do. That is, it is an interesting thing with like, oh, you mentioned the uh, Rolex and the, and the balance because they just did that whole one millimeter upgrade. Have you messed around with the forties compared to the 41s and like the subs yet? No, I haven't
0: actually. I um, I used to get access to quite a lot of Rolexes for filming because uh, Bob's watches, who's a big Rolex yeah, dealer sure. was, based around the corner from where i was in california but now i've moved to florida i mean b- before we uh before we finish up here I, i'm in we've talked about most of the the main watch brands here but we haven't talked about is and i think this is the biggest one of the biggest watch phenomenons of 2020 certainly if you look on youtube is is um richard mill or richard mill yeah, yeah. What's, what's your view on that as a long-term sort of luxury watch collector that um... brand and how it's sort of
1: well, see, now now, now this, I, I put my artist hat on for this, because I'm an artist, of course, right? So I, I look at things, and, and funny enough, the watches that I buy, I mean, I look at them, you know, first of all, when I buy a watch, it has to have the it factor, you right? know, it's got to be, it's just got to hook me for some reason, that's just what I get hooked on. But I also look at it from the viewpoint of skin tone, and, you know, I'm Irish German, so I have white skin, and you can see pink, and my veins are blue, and, and, you know, even though I have yellow gold watches, yellow gold is not my color. Right. I just happen to like yellow gold because it's classic and it's cool and it harkens to the 80s kid in me that I grew up with all these guys wearing yellow gold watches. So it's it's kind of cool, but it's just not my color. So um I love Richard Meal, is how I say it. That's how I've always learned to say it. And I hope that's yeah, correct. Yeah, sure. So, i it wrong, Richard Meal. Yeah. It's probably going to be like Rick, Ricky Millie. We're all going to find out. We're going to be like, oh, he's this kid from Brooklyn or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he's actually big friends with Sylvester Stallone, isn't he? When he made Sylvester Stallone. Uh designed that watch that was like a million dollars or oh, something yeah. that, that subsequently sylvester stallone sold his version of it so i don't know what that says about yeah. me
1: they falling out but uh. yeah i i think i think it's really incredible that you know some of these brands are so old and they've had you know uh you know so much time and decades and decades to to craft their success and these guys have done it in what less than 20 years and they're huge i mean Back up fifteen years ago, all the sports guys were wearing Hublot, right? And they all had different Hublot, and well, now they're all wearing Richard Mille. So, I, I I think they're really interesting, and they're they're almost like patchwork in a way, which I really love. And I think they're doing like the, the candy stuff. Did you ever see the candy watches they yeah. were doing? Um I yeah. think that's hyper cutting edge watchmaking, and and so artistic, and you know, very very niche community. I think I saw mostly hip hop guys wearing those. Um. And and the prices have been insane. Now, my favorite one that they ever did was the 67. And that was a, they did two versions of it, which one was a pink gold and then one was a titanium. And it was their ultra flat with the tonneau case. And you used to be able to pick it up for a buck and a quarter, you know, six figures, of course, a buck and a quarter. And I think those are even doubled in prices. But that one looked like a New York City Art Deco building to me. And I love Deco. I love old, you know, 30s and 40s. I just loved old American Deco stuff. And so the the writing on there, I'm not sure if that was their intention, but that's what it looked like to me. It was the best thing they ever did. Now they're, you know, just going crazy with their prices too. I went to their Vegas shop. You go in there and there's nothing in there. You go in, it's empty. You're like, oh, what can I look at? They're like, nothing. You can put it yeah, in order. Yeah, that
0: one watch in the window. Yeah, I, right. I remember. Yeah, there's one watch in the window, and then they have you go in, and they have this beautiful book laid out that's the catalogue. Mm-hmm. And then it, yeah. it's uh, it's one of those watch shops that I've always quite intimidated to to go in. Like I would, you know, I'd walk into the Hublot and the others, but Richard Bill, you feel like it's the show, isn't it? It's the it's a a theatre of a watch shop. It's not actually a.
1: Welcome, welcome to our store. What can I not help you with? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I Live a bit too far away now, but where we used to live in California, we could drive to Vegas, and I loved watch shopping in in, in Vegas. I bought a Tudor the Black Bay fifty eight from uh, Vegas. Yeah, did do you still have that, or did you move it? I moved it. I'm, I'm very much. I don't know. Maybe this is a good sort of part to finish on. I'm very much. If I, if I wear a watch, and I even if I love it. After a while, and like maybe I get a new watch, and my taste change. I don't often hold on to them. I, I don't. If I sell a watch, I never I never feel like I have to buy it back. I, I don't know whether it's just me or or like as I'm, I'm going for much. I mean, I had a, my Speedmaster that I got married in. I, I've had it for twelve years. I, I sold that. I, I sold my Black Bay fifty eight. I sold a, a couple of other Omegas that I really wanted at the time. I don't know whether I'm more of a a lust after a watch and then. Then I'm on to different things, but I don't feel the need to hold Once on. Once the to game's me. over,
1: you're like you're like I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So I do don't you, know. That's... you never, so you never like, you know, like so if you sell one, you never wish you had it back. You've never gone through that where I'm like, oh, I've I should n- I shouldn't have sold that
0: one. No, I've never I've never done that. Wow. I think because I think because okay. in
1: my in
0: my collection, the ones that the the ones that actually have value to me, are the watches that I inherited. So I've got mm. you know, my granddad's, a, a Casio from my granddad, I've got a Timex from another granddad, and I've got my um, a, a watch from my father-in-law who who passed away. So those are the, the actual valu- valuable to me. Um, and the other watches, I just love watches so much that I, I think I, I like experiencing different watches. I, maybe I'll go through a phase where I'm like, oh, God, I wish I hadn't sold the uh that particular watch but it, it's not happened so far to me um and maybe it's because i'm reviewing watches and i'm getting a lot of watches
1: you know co- coming and going on on the channel yeah, you can but. get you can get i don't want to say the word jaded but you can when you get a lot of that stuff happening and you're in that all the time you can really you know get sort of flat on the whole thing i'll tell you i i've you know, I don't typically regret stuff that I move either, because I'll move stuff pretty fast. Sometimes i hold on to it for three weeks and move it and try to not take a bath on it. And, um, and some of them you really do take a bath on, but uh, you try to mitigate that as much as possible. But there are a handful that, you know, I'll find myself thinking about and i am like, and, and for a long time, and I'll be like, I shouldn't have sold that one. And those are the ones that end up becoming permanent collectors like this, this Submariner. Like, I was so sick of Submariners, okay? And I've had one, two, three, or four Submariners now. And I started off with the same one that everybody else has, which is the 40 millimeter, you know, sub. And I just got sick of seeing 20 of them in the airport every time I was in an airport. And everybody had I just got sick of it. And so then I moved on to the the bluesy, the two-tone bluesy. And I was like, well, that's a little bit more distinct. It's a real man's, man's watch. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I made the mistake of putting on the full 18 karat gold version in a store in Atlanta. And I was like, well, obviously, I'm going to get rid of the two-tone and get that. You can't have the two-tone version, right? And then I sold it. I had it for two. I had the full 18-karat gold version. I sold it for two years. And like I said, I'm not even a diehard Rolex guy, right? Um, And I sold it for about a, I would say, a 40% profit after wearing it for two years. So I was like, oh, it made good. But the funny thing is, is I weirdly regretted it and for a while. And so my Rolex dealer here in Nashville, this is a new 41, by the way, I just got this a couple months ago at retail, believe it or not. You know? So they called me, I said, Hey, if you get another one of those then I'll buy it. And this is the 41 millimeter. So I bought it back and I, I won't sell it again. Um, just because it was one of those that, you know, for whatever weird reason, you're, I just got attached to it and I missed it. And so you get it back. Another really cool one was the, the JLC Amvox series. Have you ever seen those? No. super cool uh, watch. The tit- are they titanium? They're some not of the them titanium. Will, Navy think, seals ones. Um, the some of the Amvoxes are titanium. Mine was. I don't know if all of them are though. They've had like seven iterations, but I think you with like your with your Chris Ward and those and you, you can appreciate the the interesting t- details. The Amvoxes are very cool because they the crown. I'm sorry, the um the crystal is the chronograph. So you press the crystal start, stop, and then reset is pressing the bottom of the crystal. And they made them so that you could touch them with, you know, driver's gloves, because you're not, you're not going to, there's no way you're moving Daytona little crowns on a with driving gloves. It's and so, and of course, nobody really uses those for those anyway, but, but that's another one. There's an Ambox too, that's, uh, you know, it's black, black coated titanium. And, and I think there was maybe three or 500 of them ever made. And, and so this particular one had a particular strap, and I had it, flipped it, and then that's one of those where I go, I should probably go and start finding that one again. But it, you know, it came in certain iterations, so now you got to go hunting for a pretty rare watch that, you know, if I could find the one that I had, that would be cool too. So it's, it's been an interesting thing on, your, on the watch collecting, though, is once in a while I'll hang up on that, and those become actual permanent adds to the collection, not flippers anymore.
0: Well, that's been such an interesting talk. Dan, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys. And I'll see you next time on Casual Watch Talk.